with you again this morning. Thanks for having me and allowing me to come back, so I appreciate that. Well, we are going to be diving into the book of Ruth today. Uh, I'm working through a lot of Old Testament books, um, really with my college students at Christopher Newport University. And so as we are working through the book of Judges, naturally what comes after that is the book of Ruth. And what I'd like to describe the book of Ruth, if you're not super familiar with this book, Ruth is a, a beautiful, it's a, a wonderful but compact story. There's kind of four main acts or four main parts, and there's actually four chapters in the story of Ruth, and it's wedged between the book of Judges and 1 Samuel. And it's kind of like a historical bridge between the time of the Judges and then also the time of the beginning of the kings in Israel. And so this love narrative or love story is really a bridge. And so I want you to know that, because I'm going to give us a little uh, bit of context, since we're kind of parachuting into the middle of Ruth today. And so what we're going to look at is Ruth chapter 3, and uh, we're going to get to the text in just a little bit, but it's in the back of your bulletin, so you'll have it. But what we're going to do now is just look a little bit at what is happening in Ruth chapters 1 and 2, because a lot has happened. Well, the main characters in our story are Naomi, Ruth, and a young man named, or a middle-aged man, I should say, named Boaz. And these are the main central people in the story. Now, Naomi and Ruth were previously living in another land, not in Israel. They were living in Moab. There is a great famine that had happened in Israel and the surrounding area. And because of that, Naomi had left with her two children and her husband, and they had gone into Moab. We don't know all the reasons, uh, but we know a great famine was probably the main catalyst for that move from living in Judah, going over to Moab. And so what we have in our story is now we have Ruth and Naomi are beginning to come back from Moab, they're coming back to Israel because they have heard of some great things that the Lord has been doing. In the midst of this great famine, uh, the Lord has provided for his people, whether it was miraculous or whether it was by great farming technique as an, agri agri an agricultural uh, type of environment and economy. Uh, but he provided for the people in really beautiful ways. And so there was a fruitfulness of the crops, there was a fruitfulness of the people, and so Naomi and Ruth had heard of this during this time of the famine, they were, are now returning to the land of Judah. But while they were in this foreign land, some really difficult things had happened. Uh, Ruth lost her young husband, he died. Um, Naomi lost her husband, and even Naomi's other daughter-in-law, Orpah, lost her husband. So major amounts of death in this family. And if you know anything about the ancient Near East, obviously with the men, this was, this was where the land was provided so was through the men or through male children. This is where the, the job security was, the sustainable income. And so there's a lot of trauma, a lot of chaos going on. And Ruth and Naomi seeking provision, protection, they're returning to the land which God was providing for, their hometown. Now, one thing you need to know, though, is Ruth is not an Israelite. She's a Moabitess, and that's talked a lot about in the book of Ruth, and that's really important because she's a foreigner. 
she's not one of the Israelites. Naomi is, but Ruth is not. And so this idea of her being a Moabitess and her being blessed or provided for or cared for by the Lord, by Yahweh, is a big deal. So don't ever miss that in the story of Ruth. But these ladies, now physically, financially, and spiritually a little bit disadvantaged living in Moab, are returning. And now what we have is, is the young lady, we don't know what age Naomi is, but she's probably advanced in years. Ruth, the younger, is now sent to go into the fields to work. Because now that they're back in Judah, they don't have jobs, right? They don't have the 401k plan. They don't have uh, even the continual life insurance payouts to provide for them. They're in a really a tough spot. And so Ruth the Younger, she goes into the fields, as Mosaic law would allow, and she's able to glean. So they return probably during the months of April or May, and this is when the wheat and barley harvests are being harvested with all the sickles and all those things by hand. And she's allowed after the workers go into the field and they suck all the harvest, to glean what she can, to, to eke out some level of living. And she's allowed to do that. But obviously, that's not a great way to sustain the rest of your life, right? Just barely, barely getting by. Well, that's what we have in Ruth chapter 2. But now as we go into Ruth chapter 3, what you're, what you're seeing is, is there's a need for sustainable protection, provision, income, care, and obviously, what do they need? They need a man. They need the Lord, most definitely, more importantly, but they need also a man in this also situation too for the physical means to care for. And so this needing of a marriage and of a man, and Naomi already said, I'm past time, I'm not going to have any more children, probably not going to find a husband. You know, kind of widowhood is, seems to be her future trajectory. But for Ruth, it doesn't have to be. And so we are setting the stage now for what happens to be Ruth chapter 3, and this is also act number 3 in the story of Ruth. So there's a really a major need. But at the end of also chapter 2, we see there's a very single and a very godly middle-aged man. His name is Boaz, who helps to be a wealthy landowner. And he finds this foreign girl, this new girl, who's working in this field quite attractive. Right? And that's obviously Ruth. And he has heard of her great character, loving on Naomi, being with her, right, forsaking the Moabite gods and goddesses and now taking on Yahweh as her God. Because in Ruth chapter 2, Ruth said, Naomi, your people will be my people, your God will be my God. And Boaz had heard of this great character. And so you see this act of favor upon her. He says, stay in my fields, work. I'll protect you, I'll provide for you. And here he's even some extra barley, some extra wheat to provide for your mother-in-law as well. Go, may it be well with you, right? God provides, right? He's providing for Ruth, providing for Naomi. And as we're going to see also, he's going to provide for Boaz and a whole lot more people too. But God hears and he listens. So, the stage is set. Now let's take a look at Ruth chapter 3 and uh, read silently as I read Ruth 3, verses 1 through 18. Verse 1 says, Then Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? 
See, he is winnowing barley tonight on the threshing floor. Wash yourself, therefore anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, and go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, his heart was merry. He went to lie down at the end of the heap of the grain. Then Ruth came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down at midnight. And the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman was lying at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, right? The one that you had done before by not going after young men, whether rich or poor. In verse 11, And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townspeople, they know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true, I am a redeemer, but yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain here tonight, and in the morning I will redeem you if it is good. But if he will redeem you, let him do so. But if he is not willing to redeem you, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Now lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before anyone could recognize one another. And Boaz said, let it be known that the woman came, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. And so Ruth held it out and Boaz measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. And then she went into the city and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? And then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law, she replied. Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle this issue today. It's quite an interesting story we have here. Uh, not your typical marriage proposal or engagement, uh, to say the least. And certainly, uh, we should ask the question, is this advisable for single ladies? You know, for my young daughter who's turning four, should she do as Ruth did when she gets older? I, as her father, would say, absolutely not. But the Lord, thankfully, um, works through mixed motivations and sometimes strange and odd ways to do his providential work, and he does, right? God's not constrained by sometimes our uh, advanced trying to force his will. Sometimes he even works through those things, but we ought not presume upon him to do that, right? We ought to wait on the Lord and trust in him. But what basically we have here is Naomi is saying to her daughter-in-law, right, single, available, and very much needing her to get in a situation to bring continual sustenance for them. She says, go make yourself pretty, take a shower, smell great, and then go down to the bar late at night, around 12. After, and hey, lurk in the shadows. Don't let anybody see you, right? Stay back. And then uh, when the time's right, when he and the rest of the men, they're tired from a hard day of work of harvesting and they've had enough uh, to eat and drink, uh, when they're really tired, go lay down on the dirty floor next to Boaz's feet and do whatever he tells you to do. It'll be fine. Good luck, right? 
And that's kind of how it goes, right? And we're, we're going to talk about this dynamic of what's really going on here. But this is kind of how the stage is being set for this kind of narrative. But the Lord works in and through this and in bigger ways than you can imagine. We're going to share that at the end. Uh, but let me tell you where we're going to go as we unpack this passage and then let me pray for us. The first thing we're going to see in verses 1 through 5 is Naomi tell Ruth, you got to look good. All right? Verses 1 through 5. So you got to look good. Second, we're going to ask the obvious question, is Naomi asking Ruth to hook up or seduce Boaz to secure marriage and continual provision, protection, etc., right? In verses 6 through 13, we're going to ask that question. And third, in verses 14 through 18, we're going to see that Naomi and Ruth are now to play the waiting game. And then we're going to look at our application. And so that's where we're going to go this morning, and we're going to walk through this. But pray with me that we prepare our hearts. Lord, you are faithful. Lord, you are kind. Lord, uh, your ways are not our ways. They are higher than our ways. And Lord, even in our scheming and planning and trying to force your will or force provision or care, Lord, um, you are still kind to us. You are faithful to us, Lord. And thank you for that faithfulness and that kindness. Lord, we need you. Lord, thank you that you provide on bigger scales and that, Lord, um, even in our hearts, Lord, when we try to trust you, but we trust in ourselves, Lord, you are still faithful to provide and protect your people. We are not 100% pure, Lord, but Lord, you are. Your son, Jesus Christ, was for us, and in him we trust, Lord, and in you, Lord, we trust. Help us to be a people who lean on you and your understanding and your ways and your perspective and not on our own. Lord, we need you. Lord, be with us. Keep us safe. Lord, provide for us, provide for our friends, and provide for this community, Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, let's look at verses 1 through 5 a little bit more closely. All right? This is, you got to look good. All right? So hear me, with that phrase in mind, hear me say this then. Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, says to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose, whose young woman you are with? See, he is winnowing barley right tonight in the threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself, anoint yourself, put on your cloak, go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known unto the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, and go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he's going to tell you what to do next. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. Ruth is essentially saying, sure, mother-in-law, I will go down to that dark field where there are no street lights. I'm a young, single, vulnerable female. I will go down there out of the walled city and go down to the fields, and uh, I will wait in the shadows in the very place at the threshing floor where men are known to go down and after a hard day eat and drink probably alcohol is part of it, right, and hang out, and I'm going to remain there, and it hopefully is going to be safe up until the time where they're a little bit tired, but yet also know that these men are on guard, they're there guarding their very harvest, right, from banding thieves and animals, so they're already kind of already on edge, and so I want you to go down in that setting, wait for them to fall asleep. And then I want you to sneak up on Boaz. It's going to be okay. That's essentially what's being asked. 
right? What would you do? What would you say if that was being asked of you? Would you just say, yes, that sounds like a great time. I'd love to do that right now. Obviously not, right? We would not want to do that. We would not advise many people to do that. Certainly not. Well, I think Naomi's plan and scheme is a little more calculated than my oversimplification of what I just said, but how do we know that? How do we know that she's thinking through this process a little bit more because it seems pretty terrible? Well, we know a little bit about Boaz. We know a little bit about what the text says about him. He's a kind, he's a religious, a faithful, God-fearing man who's responsible, who's virtuous, right? He's well-liked by his workers. Even he openly prays for his workers in the field because that's kind of what he does for Ruth. And Ruth chapter 2, he blesses her and even just prays for her in public. So we see a man of great character, great kindness. He blesses a foreigner who he doesn't have to bless and care for, and he goes out of his way not only to care for this foreigner, Ruth, but also her mother-in-law, another widow. So we see great character or solid indicators that this man might be of marriage material, as my college students might say, right about this. So, but not only that, Boaz is also a wealthy man. He's a landowner. He has sustainable jobs, right? He's uh, not out there on Tinder looking for one-night hookups. He's a God-fearing man, right, who, who loves his people. And what we're seeing here is also that bonus time, um, he's related to Naomi's deceased and former husband, Elimelech. So that means there can be some land reclamation back to Naomi if things go well with Ruth. Bonus. Right now, Naomi also knows that. That's why she's also suggesting Boaz. Because in the Mosaic law, there's a provision for a reclamation of land and when it comes to families. And so this is important. In the Mosaic law, we have three aspects of the law. Laws that govern kind of religious worship. Laws that govern right standards of conduct, right and wrong. We also have civil aspects, communal laws, right as well, and one of these communal laws among the 613 Levitical laws is really important for Naomi in this situation. Hear this, Leviticus chapter 25 says this, the Lord lays out specific instructions for his people in Israel regarding how they are to steward land and to continually providing, distributing his land. And it says, if one of your fellow Israelites becomes poor and sells some of their property, the nearest relative is to come and redeem what they have sold. If, however, there is no one to redeem it for them, but later on they prosper and acquire sufficient means to redeem it themselves, they are to determine the value for the years since they sold it and refund the balance to the one whom they sold it. They can go back to their own property, but if they do not acquire the means to repay, what was sold will remain in the possession of the buyer until the year of Jubilee. Meaning Boaz, a next of kin, or a kinsman redeemer, as is also called, is close to Naomi and Elimelech and can also redeem and repurchase back Naomi's familial land. That's good. That means a continual right, subsistence of living for her if she's to have land. That's a big deal. And so, we have a real possibility of something going right and something going well for them, right? But now is Boaz, is he constrained to help Naomi? 
or even Ruth the foreigner, certainly he has no obligation to Ruth. But Naomi, he has a nearer right uh, relation to her, but as we're going to find out, there's somebody even closer who's more responsible for helping out Naomi than even Boaz. And the reason why I say that is because the text is setting up for you the great character of Boaz. And if you're a male, you, you want to model the character and the extent of the faithfulness of Boaz. This is something to be modeled. He goes above and beyond the letter of the biblical law to show kindness and faithfulness to others. We want to be those types of men, so hear me say that, right? And so he does this. He cares for those widows, those who are weak, and loves them and provides for them and goes out of his way. We ought to be those types of people, right? But also here we see a need for children, passing of male heirs for Ruth in order to acquire this land, because that's actually how Naomi would be able to regather this land, is by Ruth having a child with this newer family member, and then through the passing of the land to right, Boaz and his child, there would be continual care. And that's how the land would come back into the family. And so that is what's going on. But as you can see, Naomi's motives are probably a little mixed, aren't they, for setting this little midnight rendezvous up, right? It would help not only her, but also Ruth, right? Well, we're going to begin to look at that. Well, is, is Ruth stacking the deck and setting Ruth up for failure? Is this a, a recipe for disaster, for a hookup or a seduction in order to kind of make this provision and protection sustainably happen? We've got to ask that question, all right? Because verses 6 through 9 kind of set that up if we didn't have verses 10 through 13. Well, let's take a look at this, because Ruth is trying now to dress up almost like a bride um, and then sneak up on Boaz, and that's kind of what's happening here. So let's look at verses 6 through 9. So Ruth went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of the grain. And then Ruth came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man, Boaz, was startled, as he would be, and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who are you? She answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. End of quote. We'll keep going just a little bit, right? Seems a little bit sketchy, right? But is there more going on here? She's lying close to him. She's smelling great, dressing up for him, right? It is what it is. Certainly not a situation we want our young ladies in. We would not advise it. I don't want my daughter in, right? Certainly not. And there's also right, social, spiritual, emotional, biological costs to if Ruth had used her body to try to secure this provision, right? Bad things. When I talk to my students, uh, because hooking up is a real thing I've got to deal with with my students on a regular basis at college university, this is a passage that speaks to that. Speaks to young people everywhere, male and female, but particularly my young people that I speak with, um, because it's a little bit more culturally acceptable to just be, have friends with benefits or just have a just a random maybe sexual encounter, right? And we're going to talk a little bit about um, the the great problems with that, um, but that's in our culture. And this passage, when I preach this to my students, I can't not talk about this. And I was reading a really wonderful book. Um, 
in my doctoral program, it forces us to read all sorts of books we wouldn't typically read. And one of the books that I'm reading through is called Love Thy Body. And uh, it's a great book by Nancy Piercy. Let me read to you some, some um, quotes from this book, Love Thy Body. It asks a question, why have so many young adults lost the ability to form real relationships? One reason is hookups. Right? A hookup can be any level of physical involvement from kissing to sexual intercourse. And according to the rules of the game, you are not to become emotionally attached. The problem is hookups promote what is known as Cartesian dualism. It's a mythical creation of a clean line between that which is physical and sexual, and on the other side, that which is personal and emotional. Hookups presuppose the ability to separate the person from the body and from emotions, biology, and relationship from sex. So a line between physicality and emotional personhood, right? That there's a clean line. We can just be two different people. Not good, right? It's not true either. The problem is, as Dr. Piercy says in her book, human beings can't do this and aren't designed to either. Young people are trying to live out a worldview that does not match their true nature. It is tearing them apart. When people orgasm in sex or through sex acts, they are releasing bonding chemicals, whether they like it or not, bonding themselves to the other person. Women, it's oxytocin, right? It's the same for moms who are nursing that bonds you to your baby. That is the dynamic that happens in sex. And for men, it's vasopressin, which is also tagged as the monogamy molecule, the male molecule that God has instilled in us to actually be drawn and connected like glued to that other person. And what we're seeing here is that even if you think you're having no strings attached hookups, you are in reality creating a chemical bond, whether you mean to or not, your biology, she says, trumps your intentions. And Duke professor Lauren Winner says also, don't you know that when you sleep with somebody, your body makes a promise whether you do or not, right? And the problem is, is there's no Prozac or Zoloft or a broken and shattered heart from all these types of encounters. Only the gospel can bring healing to this, right? And so Boaz has this kind of opportunity before him Temptation. Thankfully for us, Boaz is a man of faith and a man of great character and a, a man who is strong and he wants better. He seeks for better, right? And he's willing to go through this temptation. He's clearly attracted to Ruth, right? But he also thinks about more than just himself in this moment and he honors the Lord and he honors Ruth. And how do we know that? Well, we see verses 10 through 13. Boaz says in verse 10, May you be blessed, Ruth, by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do this thing that you ask. For all my fellow townspeople know you are a worthy woman. Now it is true, I am a redeemer, but yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain here tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. Basically, it's him saying, I know your intentions are for marriage. To provide for Naomi, obviously to also seek continual care and protection and provision for yourself as well. And you are a woman of worthy character. I have heard of it, your faithfulness. I would delight to do this for you. Right? 
good qualities he's seeking after, right? Things that he's noticing, and he protects these qualities in her, right? But how do we know that she's truly after marriage? Verse 9. Verse 9 says, Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now what you don't know is in chapter 2, verse 12, Boaz had previously prayed over, really, and blessed Ruth when she was working in the fields, and he says this to her in chapter 2. He says, May the Lord repay you, Ruth, for what you have done, right, for caring for Naomi and choosing Naomi's people and choosing his God. And may there be a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings, the Lord's wings, whom you have come now to take refuge. Boaz said that to Ruth before. What is Ruth doing? She's saying, hey, guess what? Maybe you're the person who's going to answer your own prayer for me, and God's going to use you to answer this prayer. Because, yes, I am trusting in the Lord. But you look like God's instrument to bring about this blessing, this protection and caring. And so she's really calling Boaz to fulfill and be the answer to this very prayer that Boaz said, may the Lord provide for you. And she's saying... May you be that person. I'm at your will, right? And certainly, Boaz, we see his character. He says, I would love to do that. But you know what? As an honest man, too, he also says there's somebody nearer. I want to, but i got to actually go deal with some legal matters first because there's somebody who's closer, and he has first rights of refusal here. And so i got to go deal with him and talk with him. And if he's willing to add a wife to his current marriage and willing to mess up his children's inheritance um, because of maybe children he might have with you, if he's willing to redeem you, great. Uh, but if not, I will redeem you. Right? And clearly this man does not want to mess up his current marriage and his current children's inheritance, so he says no. Right? That's the end of the story. Right? That's in chapter 4. But Right? That's what happens. But what we see now in verses 14 through 18 is a waiting Ruth, waiting to hear back, am I going to be able, like, is he going to say yes to this proposal? But also, too, Naomi's waiting to hear back what happened. Because right now, Naomi still doesn't know what had happened to Ruth. All right? And so let me read to you these verses. Now Ruth lay at Boaz's feet until the morning, but arose before anyone could recognize one another. And Boaz said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor, right, to protect her honor. And he said, bring the garment you're wearing, hold it out. She held it. And then he measured out six measures of barley, he put it on her. Then she went back into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, right, Naomi said, how did it go, my daughter? How did you fare? And then she told her all that the man Boaz had done for her, saying, Look, these six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Well, now wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man, Boaz, will not rest until we settle the matter later today. She asks her, How did it go, my daughter? How did it fare? Um... It is only by God's graciousness and by his goodness and providence that Ruth does not come back to Naomi and say, let me tell you what he did to me. What happens? Rather, Ruth says, let me tell you what he did for me. That's a big deal. Like, hear that and the subtleness of that. That's a big deal. Because a lesser man would have taken advantage of the temptation and the opportunity that was before him. 
but there was something healthy or something better being modeled, something longer lasting that he was seeking after, which our single people should desire after, something better, right? What we see here is Ruth and Boaz modeling biblical patience, obedience to the Lord and to one another. And that's in contrast to Naomi's character who's kind of modeling a little bit of impatience and some semi-scheming here. And that's what's going on. And I say this, it's easy for us to sometimes want to rush the providence of God. Um, We can't honestly in God's grand eternal scheme do that, but we can try. And we sometimes do try to rush his handiwork, right? And I think as Derek Thomas, who's a pastor and theologian, he says this well. He says, I often think that if God's providence doesn't come quickly enough, his provision come quickly enough, his protection come quickly enough for me, I will often go out and seek, seek it myself to bring about God's providence about my way and in my time and in my power and strength. But he also says, but in this reality, it's an incredibly dangerous place to be because this personal disposition, it sets us to be like God, dethroning God and placing ourselves, our understanding and our will on the throne where God ought to sit. And I say this, uh, we are prisoners of our own moment. We do not have the lenses to be able to see throughout eternal, uh, all eternity and have an eternal perspective. And so we've got to realize sometimes our ways aren't the best ways and our time is not the best time because God is working on multiple planes, both in the present. He's worked in the past, but he's also working things for future ends. And we are not able to see through crystal balls into the future. So we have to trust in the Lord and his eternal perspective because our perspective is incredibly limited. And that leads me to give you these little take-homes, these applications, and we're going to close with these. The first one is that we are to trust in the Lord, not in ourselves, even if we're wise. Right? Proverbs 3 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not your own understanding. But in all of our ways, submit to him, and he will make our paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. And Isaiah chapter 55 says, The Lord speaking, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Which is reflected in both the micro and macro provision of what's happening in this story. Does God provide for the earthly tangible needs of Naomi and Ruth? You bet he does. He's a good God. He's a good father. Does he provide for more than them? Yes, he does. Remember I said the book of Ruth is a bridge between the book of Judges and 1 Samuel. It is through Boaz's and Ruth's children, or child I should say, that we have the provision of King David. Ruth and Boaz, they give birth to Obed. Obed gives birth to Jesse. Jesse gives birth to King David. Right? And David is the one who unites the 12 broken, fractured tribes of Israel, protects them, provides for them, and fulfills the covenant for God to unite them and strengthen them and be with them. But if you walk down memory lane a thousand years later, who comes from the line of David? Jesus Christ. Jesus, the one to redeem all the people, physically, spiritually, emotionally, to do all the redemption and healing. And so God is working on multiple planes here to provide not only for Ruth, Boaz, Naomi, 
but also all of Israel years down the road, and even you and I, Gentiles. Ruth is a Moabite, a Gentile. She's included in God's people. We are being included into God's people as Gentiles. This is macro and micro provision, all right? We can, as I say, trust in the Lord because he's working on different planes and levels than you or I ever could. And so we would be wise to trust his masterful plans and to look to him rather than sometimes forcing and trying to rush the providence of God on our own. My friends, this is not easy. It's not something that often we always do, but may this be true of us, that we would lean into the Lord and his understanding and not our own. He is faithful. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need you. Lord, you are faithful when we are not. Lord, we look to you for your provision, for your care. Lord, be with us this day. Lord, for all those who are single and who desire marriage, Lord, that you would one day provide godly, Lord, men or women for them, but also help us to be wise in how we go about that process, Lord. Lord, we need you. Help us to lean into you and to trust you for all things in this life. And all God's people said, amen.